Thanks, Skip. Uh, open your Bibles, please, to the book of Hosea, chapter 10. We're going to read there together, and you can take notes along the way today. We're going to talk today. We're working our way through this book of the Bible, and we're going to talk today about a better harvest. You may remember the analogy of the book of Hosea has really been about marriage, and you may remember it wasn't a very good marriage. Hosea married a wife named Gomer. Uh, she was a wife of promiscuity. They had children of promiscuity. God said this is an analogy of Israel, my relationship with Israel, they're made for me and they're not faithful to me. And now God's going to change the analogy here in chapter 10 to a harvest, to a farmer. And he's going to talk about that harvest. And um, let's read in Hosea chapter 10. You hold your Bibles open. We're going to start, let's start in verse 9 and we'll read um, several verses there together. Are you ready? Hosea chapter 10, verse 9. The Bible says, Israel, you have sinned since the days of Gibeah. They have taken their stand there. Will not war against the unjust overtake them in Gibeah? I will discipline them at my discretion. Nations will be gathered against them to put them in bondage for their double iniquity. Ephraim is a well-trained calf that loves to thresh, but I will put a yoke on her fine neck. I will harness Ephraim. Judah will plow. Jacob will do the final plowing. Sow righteousness for yourselves and reap faithful love. Break up your unplowed ground. It is time to seek the Lord until he comes and sends righteousness on you like the rain. You have plowed wickedness and reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies. Let's just stop right there, and I'm going to talk to you about a better harvest. Probably not very many farmers here, maybe a farmer or two. How many of you had a parents who uh, grew up on a farm? How many of you, either you, maybe you did, great, but parents, a few of you, grandparents, somebody keep your hands up, your parents or grandparents? Great-grandparents, you don't even know who they are. I tell you, great-grandparents are probably farmers, and your great-great ones, undoubtedly, you had plenty of those that were farmers. I mean, just that's the society that the world is, uh, our America has been in the past, and uh, much of our world, and now we, we sort of take for granted the principles of farming and the sowing and harvest, etc. And the Bible talks here about a better harvest, and I want us to learn about that. And though we may not be farming directly, we live right here in the Midwest and I don't know if you noticed this, but there are soybean fields and uh, corn fields. Did you notice in Illinois? Have you noticed that? They're all around us. And so we're going to talk about the principles we learn from the harvest. And there are two principles I want you to note with me this morning. The first is we can learn from the failed harvest. And the analogy that God gives to Israel, really, let me just say, the reason God gave the book of Hosea is not just for Hosea and Gomer, but for Israel. And not just for Israel, but for us. And the reason the Lord talks about the harvest is not just for Israel, who understands a little of the principle of sowing and reaping, but for us. And God wants us to learn these lessons, and we can learn from the mistakes of others. God gives us the opportunity to learn from others who have had failed harvests, and there's nothing worse for a farmer, I don't suppose, than a failed harvest. All the work all the preparation, all the labor, but the failed harvest. Let's talk about this. Let's note this in verse 13. The Bible says, you have plowed wickedness and reaped injustice. Nobody wanted to reap injustice. That wasn't what they were going for. You've eaten the fruit of lies. They didn't want to eat the fruit of lies, but they had a failed harvest. They had planted and they had reaped the harvest and it was not what they wanted. And we, they, the Bible gives us these words so that we can learn from this. So there are three words I want you to note about the failed harvest. We just maybe write these three words down. The first is the word disobedience. The Bible says, in verse 9, the Bible calls uh, 
disobedience, uh, sin. Israel, you've sinned since the days of Gibeah. They've taken their stand there. Will not war against the unjust overtake them in Gibeah. Gibeah was not only the story we looked at, we mentioned last week from the book of Judges, that terrible, gruesome story, but it's also the, a place, a fortress, and Israel was depending upon their uh, walled cities and their fortresses, and God is saying, man, you, you've sinned since those days. He calls it iniquity in verse 10. He says, in fact, it says double iniquity there. Notice that. And he calls it wickedness in verse 13. Now, our culture does not match this. I mean, this sounds so odd to our culture. Because God sounds so politically incorrect here. God says sin and iniquity, double iniquity, and wickedness. We don't even use language like that now. Our culture says, let me just say, frankly, our culture says, there's no such thing as right or wrong. Whatever you feel like doing, that's what you do. Whatever inclination you may have, whatever you think, whatever you feel. The Bible said there was a day in Israel when um, every man did what was right in his own eyes, and that is this generation. We just, whatever you think, whatever you feel, the only sin is to say their sin. The only thing wrong is to say their things that are wrong. The only thing bad is to say there are things that are bad. And we believe in, as a culture that everything goes, and man, God is so politically incorrect. Have you ever noticed that about God? And he talks about sin and iniquity, double iniquity and wickedness. Well, why would God do that? Because he tells us the truth. Can I just tell you something that maybe you haven't noticed? Our culture's wrong. Our culture's wrong. Our culture that says there's no such thing as right or wrong, do whatever you want to do, it doesn't matter. They're wrong. There is such a thing as truth. And God says there is something that matters and lasts and counts and truth matters. And so God tells us this painful truth. We don't much like talking about disobedience for crying out loud, but he talks about sin and the Bible talks about iniquity, even, yea, double iniquity, and then even wickedness. And so God is saying to, to us, man, you need to know the truth because he, Quite frankly, you will never come to Christ unless you realize the truth about sin. If you think you're okay without the Lord, you'll never come to Christ. And so God, God tells you the truth so that you'll know that sin damages, causes all the pain that it causes. And you'll never grow in your faith unless you recognize that you need to grow in your faith and that sin is always damaging and painful. And so the Bible talks here about disobedience. So there's a second word I want you to write down, and that's the word discipline. So it gets worse. Man, what kind of... You are so glad you came on this Sunday. Uh, first it talks about disobedience, and then we talk about discipline. And notice what the Bible says in verse 10. I will discipline them at my discretion, the Bible says. Discipline. Man, that sounds sort of painful, doesn't it? But it's the lesson God wants us to learn. I thought, I can't help when I think about discipline, to, but think about my own parenting. Some of you are parents or grandparents. Some of you... Uh, or maybe somewhere down the line you'll be parents, but you've had parents, I guess. And uh, maybe you've thought about discipline a little bit along the way. I think, as I think about my own, I think sometimes as a parent I was too harsh and sometimes too lax. And maybe you parents have gone one way or the other. We, we have a tendency to go one way or the other on that, to be too harsh or too lax. And I, as I thought about my parents, my parents, I always thought, especially as a um, teenager, I thought of them as too harsh on that side. I did notice, though, 
that a lot of my friends, well, I had some, some of my um, high school friends, their parents just let them do whatever they wanted to do. And they just said, man, just, you know, try not to get killed or kill anybody, but just, you know, off you go, whatever you want to do. They never said no. And my parents said no plenty of times. I didn't like it much. Here's what I noticed. Many of my friends, they didn't, it's hard to say this out loud. To, I mean, it's hard for them to say it. But they wanted their parents to be more like mine. To be more like mine. Because instinctively even they knew, man, my parents care about me. They want to say no to things that harm me. I, I didn't get it right always. Sometimes I was too harsh. Sometimes I was too lax. But I wanted an imperfect father. I wanted to discipline my children because I cared about them. And I knew that playing in the street was dangerous. And I knew there were some activities that could harm them. And I knew that there were some paths that they could follow that would lead to the wrong place. And so, can I tell you, God, who is the perfect parent, disciplines those he loves, the Bible says. Are you so glad you came this Sunday? We, disobedience and discipline. But you need, these lessons are so valuable to us. God tells us so much of his word. He's reminding us of that principle. That he disciplines us out of his love. He reminds us of disobedience. And then the third word I want you to write down is the word bondage. You see how much better it gets now. Bondage. Now we just moved to bondage. Here's what the Bible says in verse 10. I will discipline them at my discretion. Nations will be gathered against them to put them in bondage for their double iniquity. He's going to put them in bondage, he's saying. Because God knows the truth. God reminds us that sin is well marketed. It's marketed as freedom. But the reality of sin is it always leads to captivity and bondage. Always. So it's marketed as get rid of all. The, man, don't just throw away all the old rules of the old generations who always talk about right or wrong. Get rid of that. Just throw off all those shackles. Don't listen to this crazy old book, the Bible, or to those Christian folks. And you, just, and you go to whatever you want to do because that'll be freedom. And in reality, it always leads to bondage. Sin always leads to bondage. Now you live long enough and you'll begin to see the principle a little bit more fully in your life. Sin always leads to bondage. It's marketed well, but the reality is bondage. And the enemy wants to put you in bondage. And God cares so much about you that he reminds you of this truth. And so he tells you the danger of disobedience and he calls it sin and iniquity, yea, double iniquity, and he calls it wickedness. And he tells you he'll discipline you because he loves you. And he tells you he does this because it always leads to bondage. So last week I told a story about trapping raccoons. And my goodness, have the raccoon stories come out of the woodwork. I mean, I heard so many raccoon stories this week. Apparently raccoon problems are much bigger than I realized. And I hope, I, it makes me feel better to know other people have raccoon problems. But nonetheless, I, I trapped, my wife and I trapped, I, I, we live trapped because Vicky is so compassionate, live trapped six raccoons. And I mentioned this last week, we'd lure them in with this, apples with peanut butter on them and it worked like you know uh, raccoon cocaine and they'd get in that trap and they'd get trapped and we'd take them off and but there's one raccoon at least one that has eluded captivity to this point and i don't know if it's more wily than the rest or maybe it just learned the lessons you know it saw it's maybe it's, i don't know those others might have been its relatives oh my goodness there goes Uncle Harry is going off, and he's in a trap, and he can't get out, and he's, they take him off somewhere. 
And then cousin, you know, there's cousin Stan. Cousin Stan is Lee. He got trapped. He went in that, got the cocaine and gets the trapped and off he goes. And so that raccoon was smarter, perhaps. Maybe that raccoon learned the lesson and said, I'm not going in there because that leads to captivity. I would like you to be the smart raccoon, okay? I mean, I'm not, you see, it's an analogy, don't you? I'm not, so the, you be the smart raccoon. Don't be like the Uncle Harry or Cousin Stan who goes in and finds himself in the trap and then so surprised because God warns us disobedience is sin and iniquity, yea, double iniquity and wickedness. And God reminds us that He disciplines those He loves and He tells us the truth that it leads to bondage and even shows us in His Word how often it happens to others so that we can learn the lessons and we don't have to repeat the same mistakes because we see this principle there's a failed harvest. And maybe you've gotten on a path that is leading in the wrong direction. I just I warn you because God cares about you. He warns you about this danger. And maybe, maybe you would like a better harvest. So let's talk about a second principle. Prepare for a better harvest. All right, would you just write that down? Prepare for a better harvest. And I want to talk to you about that better harvest. Verse 12 is a great verse, a key verse in this book of the Bible. And it talks to us about the better harvest that God has for us. I mean, that's really what God wants as he uses this analogy. He wants us to learn from the failed harvest. And he wants us to prepare for a better harvest. And so let's note three ways we can prepare for a better harvest. Are you ready? Principle number one, just write this down if you would, sow the right seed. Sow the right seed. Now that's the principle that I want you to get, but I'm going to give you a little extra bonus free, I'm going to give you free sermon notes. Is this not a great deal? Under, after each of these, when I say sow the right seed, that's talking about preparing for a better harvest, I'm going to give you an application principle. So here it is. Live a godly life. It won't be on the screen. This is just for free. This is just between you and me, all right? Live a godly life. You might like to write that down. So the principle is, God wants us to have a better harvest. And so he says in verse 12, sow righteousness for yourselves and reap faithful love. Sow righteousness for yourselves and reap faithful love. He's saying you need to sow the right seed. He's saying live a godly life. Live a godly life. Live a righteous life. Follow my path, my direction. He's teaching us some lessons that we need to learn. The farmer, man, today's farmers spend lots of money on getting the right seed. Seed that germinates at the right time, that's drought resistant or heat resistant or insect resistant. And they spend a lot of money on that because they know the principle of the harvest. What you sow is what you reap. Righteousness, sowing righteousness leads to faithful love. Of course we want God's faithful love, where righteousness is the means by which we find it. So let's note a few things here about living a godly life or about this principle of sowing the right seed. Just note first that it's straightforward. The Bible says you reap what you sow. I mean, this is a straightforward principle. You reap what you sow. Just note that principle in life. It's true of you personally. It's true of you spiritually. And so if you want to reap faithful love, then you're going to have to sow righteousness, the Bible says. It's a straightforward principle. Notice that it's simple. It's not complex. It's not, there's, there's no complexity. It's just live a godly life. Do the right things. We have in our house uh, house plants, and we have the simple plants because the complex ones that take certain amounts of light, etc., man, they always die. There's something nice about simple plants, and this is a simple plan from God. God says, I want you to live a godly life. If you want the harvest, the better harvest, then live a godly life. Choose to follow me. Go my direction. 
Remember the principle of sowing and reaping. And then notice this is important. It's important. It, holiness matters to God and it should to us. It's almost a, the danger of a generation. I'm all for grace. That is, grace is God loves us even though we don't deserve it. But grace does not remove God's love for holiness. It does not remove God's love for holiness. And God will always care about holiness because that's the very character and nature of who God is. And so can I just remind you of that, the importance of this subject? Sow the right seed. God will care about your attitude, your actions, your righteousness, your holiness. So as I talked about this, it may be, there may be something in your life that God will just convict you of. I, this is not the right seed. You're headed down the wrong path that leads to the wrong place. And you're sowing the wrong seed to lead to the wrong harvest. And I want you to make some changes. And what he's saying is, I want you to live a godly life. I want you to obey me and follow me. Not just follow the culture. Not just go the easy way. But just to say, God, I'm going to obey you. I may not even fully understand why at this point you tell me what you want me to do. But I'm going to obey you. And I'm going to trust you enough to say, I'm going to follow what you tell me. And I'm going to live in obedience to you, to your purposes and your plans. I'm going to ask you to live a godly life. All right, principle number one was sow the right seed. Principle number two, prepare the soil. Would you write that down? Prepare the soil. And here's your free notes. This is just a great bonus for you today. Prepare for future opportunities. Maybe at the side you'd write that little phrase. Prepare for future opportunities. Verse 12 says, sow righteousness for yourselves and reap faithful love and break up your unplowed ground. Break up your unplowed ground. The farmer knows that the soil has to be prepared. You need enough of the right uh, nature of soil, and you need the soil to be plowed and, and prepared, and the clods to be broken. And the Bible is saying here, break up your unplowed ground. It's reminding us of opportunities that God will give us. There's God is saying, listen, farmers, you have some land that's not being used and you're missing some opportunities. There's a sense in which right now you are preparing, right now preparing for the kind of opportunities that are coming in the future. Right now you're sort of preparing for the future. And you say, I'm not doing, I'm not doing anything. Exactly. Exactly. You are preparing, or not, for the future that will be yours. And the Lord is saying, break up your unplowed ground. This uh, phrase, unplowed ground, in the, in the uh, older language was fallow ground. I didn't know what, I remember when I first heard fallow ground, I didn't know what that meant. It just means unplowed ground, but I love the phrase fallow ground. It's ground that's not being utilized. It's ground that could be utilized, but isn't being utilized. And so let me note a couple of things about fallow ground. First, fallow ground is wasted. There's no harvest that comes from, hollow, from a fallow ground. It's just wasted. And can I tell you, don't waste your life. Don't waste it. Don't waste your talents. God has given you those talents for a reason. Don't waste them. If you know Christ as Savior, God has given you spiritual gifts. Don't waste those gifts. God has given them to you. Use them for his glory. 
God made you to be a part of the body of Christ. God made the church for a reason. And we're all different parts of the body, but we all have a role to play. Don't waste the gifts that God has given to you. Don't waste your opportunities. God puts you in places and gives you uh, opportunities all the time. Maybe that job is an opportunity. Maybe your family is an opportunity. Maybe your neighborhood is an opportunity. Fallow ground is wasted ground. Plow up that ground. Prepare for your future. And secondly, fallow ground is unproductive. There's no harvest that follows fallow ground. It takes sowing in order to reap. And the Bible is reminding us that fallow ground is unproductive ground and God made you to impact others. And many people are unproductive in life. God made us to impact others. The early church is a great example of this. Man, they were unskilled and uneducated. They didn't have much money or power or fame or privilege or opportunity, but God just worked in them and through them, and they changed the world by the power of God. And God, the Holy Spirit, lives in you if you know Christ as Savior. The Holy Spirit lives in you, and God will empower you to accomplish His purposes. He can make your life productive. He can make that job that may seem like a dead-end job to you, or maybe it's just you've got a frustrating situation in your job. God can make that productive. God can accomplish his purposes in you and through you in that job. Maybe your family situation isn't what you'd like it to be, but if you will trust God and follow God and lean upon God, God can make that productive in your life. Break up your fallow ground, the Bible is saying. There's something about preparing for the future. Every, every year uh, at this time, right here in the middle of August, I... I, I just think of football. And part of it is just for, for eight years, high school and college, I played football for those eight years straight. And I saw a guy the other day, a teenager carrying his football helmet and his shoulder pads over, just carrying it along from practice. And I said, man, I just immediately go back to that. So I just, I, when I was terrible, my first year of high school, I was just terrible. I never really got that good. I was played in a small college. I will say this, the older I get, the better I was. I'll just tell you that right now. I mean, really, as I think back on it now, really unbelievably good. Well, in, in my generation, um, we had, in the first, in high school years, we had what they called two-a-days. And that's where you practice twice a day, every day for the first couple of weeks before the, before the season started, before you got into the regular season. And man, if, uh, it's always, you know, August, go out there at seven in the morning and seven at night, seven in the morning, it'd be the dew on the ground, you'd get all wet, and then it'd get really hot by the time practice was over, and then the evening would start really hot, and you'd be so tired, and my muscles weren't used to it. I was unprepared. It was just painful. Muscles I had never used before. I didn't even know I had. Just sore in ways I couldn't anticipate. And, but all of that was preparing for the future. So when we watch television and watch a football game, we just see the game. But all the preparation is what led to that. And often all we see are the end results. And God is reminding us that there's a process that leads there. God's saying, break up your fallow ground. You've got all these opportunities. Prepare right now for what I want in you and from you and for you in the future. And you're doing that or not right now. You're either growing in Christ, you're either leaning into the things of God, or you're not. You're studying his word, you're connecting with other people who are believers, you're learning from others who have gone a little farther down the line 
You're using your gifts and talents. You're either doing those things or you're not. And the Bible reminds us of that principle of preparing the soil. And so the Bible says, sow the right seed, prepare the soil. And principle number three, pray for rain. And every farmer, especially those in dry climates, knows something about praying for rain. And here's, what the, here's the principle I want you to get. Pursue closeness with the Lord. Pursue closeness with the Lord. The Bible says in verse 12, it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and sends righteousness on you like the rain. And sends righteousness on you like the rain. And listen, there's no harvest without rain. All the sowing, all the preparation will be for naught unless there's some rain. And the rain the Bible is talking about here is pursuing that closeness with the Lord. So let's note a few things here. Here, First, the Bible tells us when. The Bible says it is time to seek the Lord. It's time. And it, there's something bad about delay. Some of you have probably said someday, you know, I'm going to, whatever it is, someday I'm going to trust Christ as Savior. Someday I'm going to get active in church. Someday I'm going to use my spiritual gifts for God's glory. Or whatever it is. On and on we go. Someday, someday, someday. And I just, can I just say, no, no, you can't. There's no such thing as future tense Christianity. I mean, there are things that are going to happen in the future, of course, but I'm, you are either serving God or you're not. And maybe you can plan to hope to, but God, God reminds you that it is time. He wants you right now to have intimacy with him. Like prayer is not just something someday. Bible reading is not just for someday. Learning about the things of God is not just someday, but this day. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior, I want to ask you this day, to give your life to Christ. If you know God wants you to begin to serve him faithfully, this day, don't put it off. I, I have had a tendency to procrastinate in many ways over my life. I've tried to be a better husband in more recent years. And so, like sometimes, one of my jobs, you know, I've got the really big hard job in the house of taking the trash out. It's unbelievably difficult. You, those of you who do that, just know how that's just so overwhelming. Sometimes I just can't do it at the moment. I had to put it off, you know, for long periods of time until my poor wife would take it out for me just because the trash is overflowing. And I, I finally realized I need to stop procrastinating, putting it off. And so, man, when I see the trash, I try to get it now. And, and Vicki will say, oh, you took the trash out already? I'm not a procrastinator. I'll say I'm not a procrastinator. And I'm trying to learn that lesson spiritually. I, I don't have to put off. What God wants me to do now, I need to put into practice. It is time, the Bible says. Notice the who. It's time to seek the Lord. This is this is not just about religion, but about a relationship with the Lord. Now, religion is our response to our relationship, but not the replacement for a relationship. God wants you. He wants you to seek Him, to seek the Lord. He wants a relationship with you. Salvation is a relationship with the Lord. When you trust Christ as Savior, He becomes your Heavenly Father. God adopts you into His family. It's personal. It's not just uh, try harder and do better. It's about trusting Christ who did for you what you could not do for yourself. Discipleship is about, it's, it's personal. It's not just about, I do a certain method or model. It's about a personal connection to the Lord himself. So I want you to learn about God, yes, but I want you to know God himself. Of course, we want to be around the things of God, but we want to be in the presence of God himself. The Bible it is time to seek the Lord. And notice the why until he comes. Until he comes. I don't understand fully why. But I know that God responds to our prayer. 
when we seek him, there's a response from God that comes no other way. And God waits on our prayer, longs for our prayer, loves for us to talk to him in prayer. It is time to seek the Lord until he comes. God responds to prayer in a way that he, he would not otherwise respond. And God loves to come to us. Can I just remind you that God in heaven warns us about the failed harvest. He warns us about the danger of disobedience and discipline and bondage because he wants to come to us. He wants us to seek him and find instead his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his love. and his God loves that. And the what? It's time to seek the Lord until he comes and sends righteousness on you like the rain. And God loves to send righteousness on us. He loves to forgive us. He loves to help us get engaged in right behavior. He loves us to learn how to serve him with the right spirit and attitude. He loves for us to learn the lessons and the dangers of our past. He loves for, loves for us to overcome those things. He loves for us to learn from the failed harvest in our own lives and from the lives of others and instead to find a better harvest. God loves that. There's something about the summer rain. Something about the summer rain. That's so Maybe we had a little more of it than we needed for a day or two this year, but man, the I don't know if you've noticed how green things are around here. And the corn is high and the soybeans are high. And there's something about rain. And God is just saying, I want to, I just, I want to pour righteousness on you. Man, I've got, I've got a life for you that is so worth living, so much better than anything the world has to offer. I've got, I've got my presence that I want to give to you. It's time for you to pray for rain. To seek the Lord. You know, it's not that God is just wanting to stay distant from you or something. It's God, God is waiting for you to ask. God is waiting for you to seek. And when you do, you'll find God has not moved. God has not run from you. God is there and he's waiting for you to come back to him. And you can do that this very day. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? And as we bow, I just want to lead you in two, two areas. Some of you need to be saved. You need to be saved. It's more than religion. It's more than just trying to do good things. But God wants you. And I want to ask you right where you are, will you give your life to Christ? Will you repent of your sin? You need the Lord. Our sin, he tells us the reality of it. It's disobedience to God. It's sin and iniquity and wickedness. But God has done something about it. It's sin that separates us from him. But we, God has done something about it. He himself sent his son Jesus into this world to live the life we couldn't live, to die on the cross, the death we deserve, and to provide the miracle we need in the resurrection. And if you will repent of your sin and place your trust in Jesus today, if you'll, if you'll ask him to save you, he will give your life to Christ today. Don't wait. There's no more convenient time. Trust Christ. And Christian, can I say a word to you? Maybe you've had the opportunity to watch some failed harvests in the lives of others and maybe even sometimes in your own life and God's calling you to prepare for a better harvest to live a godly life plant the right seed for the right harvest to break up some fallow ground to begin to prepare for the future God has for you to pray for rain to really begin to seek God himself today, would you do that? Lord, I, I thank you for this great teaching in your word. You want a better harvest for us. You tell us the principle that 
we reap what we sow. And so, Lord, teach us that lesson well so that we begin to sow righteousness and discover your unfailing love. And I thank you that you care about us enough to tell us the truth and call us to something better. And so use this in our lives to draw us to yourself. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.